2: Well, today's episode of Live Mike. We've covered a lot of ground today, and I'm grateful to you for listening through it all. We talked about the Fourth of July weekend. I hope yours was enjoyable. I hope too that, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, that you were able to, at least in part, hear of, hear some of the president's address from South Dakota as he spoke at Mount Rushmore. I, I know that he's a divisive guy, the president, President Trump. I know that it is very difficult for some to uh, listen to anything the president has to say and find, uh, you know, reason to to be encouraged. But one of, the, one of the things that I have tried to do, and this is just me, you know, take this for what you will, over the past number of years is to try to segment the behavior of individuals and look at things uh, uh, out of any type of, uh, much broader context. Now, context is, of course, important. And I'm not saying that we ignore context. But there is a reality where an individual can do something on one day with which you disagree greatly and then on the next day do something which uh, you have the capacity to agree with wholeheartedly. You get that? I'd invite you to make your way over to the Lee Lonsberry Facebook page. On there, uh, producer Amy has just now posted the transcript of the remarks delivered by the president. Read them. Now, why do I ask you to read them? Well, because if you are someone who finds the the president to be uh, discouraging and divisive, it may help to read the words uh, and not hear them spoken by the president. Because I think maybe what you'll find there is something pretty encouraging. A great defense of America and her history and her future. I think you'll find that in the transcript of the remarks delivered by the president at Mount Rushmore over the weekend, Friday night. Anyway, Uh, What I'm talking to you now is uh, actually (laughs) we're going to stick to the topic of President Trump, but (laughs) we're going to move away from uh, what got me very excited uh, and now move towards something uh, which the president has done or at least said, which does discourage me a little bit. All right. It goes back to June 30th. And it's a tweet. The president uh, shared the following tweet. I will veto the defense authorization bill, if the Elizabeth Warren Amendment, which will lead to the renaming, plus other bad things, of Fort Bragg, Fort Robert E. Lee, and many other military bases from which we won two world wars in this bill. is in this bill. Uh, I'll admit, I did omit, uh, I did omit the, the nickname the president uh, has given to Elizabeth Warren. You know, he calls her Pocahontas. Uh, I'm not too comfortable with that. Uh, I do not excuse uh, Elizabeth Warren's uh, you know, claim you know, that she uh, came from Native American stock, but I don't think we need to be uh, calling anyone Pocahontas. Anyway, the threat very simply is that if the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, if that ultimately makes its way through the House and the Senate and onto the desk of the president, if it includes an amendment, where U.S. military installations must be uh, renamed, or at least a study undertaken to ultimately move towards the renaming of these installations. The president has threatened to veto that. In fact, uh, that is a drum he's been beating for some time. It was White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany not that long ago uh, where she was discussing the president's view on renaming military bases.
1: The president will not be signing legislation that renames America's forts. Um, it's important to note, you know, Fort Bragg, for example, it's one of the largest military installations. It's home to tens of thousands of brave American soldiers. And when you think of Fort Bragg, we think of the brave soldiers that deployed from there. Uh, we think of all five World War II airborne divisions, the 82nd, the 101st, the 11th, the 13th, and the 17th, all trained at Fort Bragg, uh, the 555th Parachute Infantry Battalion. This was the first black parachute battalion trained at this fort. Uh, we must recognize the sacrifices made by these men and women, some of whom saw Fort Bragg for the last time before they went overseas. And um, we've got to think of the Fort Bragg soldiers that have led humanitarian option operations like in Hurricane Katrina and um, the earthquake in Haiti. Uh, we've got to honor what has happened there, not rename it. So that is an absolute non-starter for the president.
2: Now, the ha- House Armed Services Committee has voted to make this Pentagon or to to force the Pentagon to rename these Confederate bases in a year, the Confederate named bases. At Fort Bragg, uh, Fort Lee, in the president's tweet there, he referred to it as Fort Robert E. Lee. That is an error. It is Fort Lee. Uh, it's not Fort Robert E. Lee, but that's a semantics. Anyway. The House has passed this, or the House Armed Services Committee, rather, has passed this. The highest of likelihoods is that it will make it to the president's desk with this provision included. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on Tuesday of last week said uh, as much. I dare President Trump to veto the bill over Confederate base naming. It's in the bill. It has bipartisan support. It will stay in the bill. So I agree with everything he just said, except for one point. I do not dare the president to do anything. And Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, I think knows better. I think he is looking for a fight on this issue. He is looking uh, to stain the office of the presidency, specifically specifically uh, Donald Trump right now. Because again, as we'll hear in just a moment from a Republican senator, while many do disagree with this, the Defense Authorization Act, which is essentially the first step towards securing the Department of Defense's budget, the Pentagon's budget, you know, which includes things uh, much more varied than this. You know, this has to do with compensating our soldiers and airmen and Marines, members of the Coast Guard. It has to do with uh, funding the programs which keep all of those fighting men and women supplied with the tools they use to ensure domestic tranquility. In American peace. If the president were to veto this NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, he would also uh, be vetoing all of those other measures. Chuck Schumer's daring him to do that. I don't like that. I don't like that. But I also don't think that this is a hill on which we should die, so to speak. Senator Joni Ernst said yesterday on CNN's State of the Union that President Trump, in fact, should sign the defense policy bill.
3: Well, I would love that, that he would sign the bill and move forward, but absolutely, we have to have the discussions. We have to do that, and if that's what will help, if we can all, all get together as stakeholders, then I think it's the right thing to do.
2: Now, don't tell anyone, but once a law is passed, it can be changed. You know, it can be changed. So if this NDAA, including the provision to change these names, if it is in fact signed by the president and goes into law, you know, any legislator could, you know, reignite the debate. And maybe undo that provision later on while leaving in place all of the provisions which have been uh, inserted into this NDAA to defend this nation, to keep our soldiers and our airmen and our our Marines, members of the Coast Guard, keep them all uh, appropriately compensated and protected and supplied. Yeah, we can do that. It's important to note that uh, Senator Joni Ernst here, who you just heard said would love uh, to have the president sign that, in an effort to uh, bring about this conversation. She's a Republican, Republican from Iowa. And she's not the only one. Uh, Mitch McConnell is hoping that the president uh, will not make good on his threats to veto this, saying that Trump shouldn't veto the defense bill over renaming Confederate bases. If you were to do so, it would mean the loss of many uh, good and important programs or at least uh, put in their way stumbling blocks, including a number of projects important here in the state of Utah. A number of provisions have been inserted into the NDAA, which is on its way to the president's desk, uh, which would have great benefit to the state of Utah, Utah's only representation on an Armed Services Committee is outgoing Congressman Rob Bishop, who worked very hard on these provisions. He's going to join me next and talk about what is contained in this bill, in this piece of funding legislation, which is so good for Utah. That is ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.
0: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold.
2: Welcome back to Live, Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You heard that story there in the newscast, and you've heard it a few times about the uh, the Frederick Douglass statue, which was vandalized in Rochester, New York. I don't talk much about where I came from or where I grew up, but uh, because I feel like it takes away from my Utah bona fides. <laughs> uh, but I, I was raised, uh, I did a good portion of my growing up, uh, right near that statue, as a matter of fact, uh, in a small town just outside of Rochester, New York. And if I'm honest, my dad uh, raised us, uh, praising the good work of Frederick Douglass, a man who was ultimately laid to rest not far from where I grew up. And it was uh, Frederick Douglass, again, who offered the dedicatory remarks at that emancipation statue there in Washington, D.C., who now so many would like to see torn down. I have a great affection for Frederick Douglass and all he accomplished, and I... Uh, So enjoy reading uh, his newspaper publications, his biographies, and his speeches. There's a lot to learn from that man, and to learn today that his statue's been toppled. It's a heartbreaking thing. Whoever did that, shame on them. Anyway, we've been talking here at length about the National Defense Authorization Act. It is a big piece of legislation that leads to uh, the funding of the Pentagon's operations. In there as well uh, is funding and certain provisions which impact uh, other aspects of national defense, Uh, not just what comes from the Pentagon, but what happens here in the state of Utah. And outgoing Congressman Rob Bishop, who uh, I'll point out is Utah's only representation on an Armed Services Committee. Uh, he was responsible for a number of provisions which have been included in this bill, in particular uh, some funding for the ground-based strategic uh, d- deterrent. That's uh, uh, We'll get into those details in a second, but essentially uh, it's one-third of the nuclear triad. It is a big deal. Uh, joining me now is Congressman Bishop. Sir, how are you?
3: Well, it's good to talk to you again.
2: Yeah, likewise. It's been too long. All right, let's not let so much time pass before before uh, you and I connect. Uh, tell me w- what it means uh, to have passed some of these provisions you were able to include in the NDAA.
3: Well, not just what we were able to get in there, because there, there are some really significant things for Hill Air Force Base and for the civilian workforce that is up there. Uh, we got uh, three or four major provisions in there, but it was from Henry which we got them in uh, – I didn't. None of them were, all of them were controversial, but all of them we worked through the system in a bipartisan way, basically got them en blanc without any dissension for any of these major issues that we had. And that's what to me is, is really exciting, that we were able to get a whole bunch of stuff that helps Utah, and we did it working efficiently and effectively and bipartisanly. And I, I kind of like that
2: approach to it. What is the GBSD?
3: uh, Ground-based strategic defense. Um, If you said Minuteman, people would understand what you're talking about. Sure. the replacement for the Minuteman. Minuteman was born, was created when I was still just starting elementary school. I don't know if you were even born then. Um, It needs to be updated significantly. It's one of, you'd you'd call the triad. We have nuclear defense in the air, on airplanes, in the sea, on ships. And the ground-based ones, and all three are essential. The reconstruction or the regrowth of this this program, the, the renewal of this of our new Minutemans, is uh, is going to be done at Hill Air Force Base. A lot of the engineering work, as well as the construction work and the maintenance, will be done at Hill. It's going to mean a whole lot of growth for the northern Utah, and uh, and it's going to solidify Hill Air Force Base as a as a key and critical base in the future. And there was an effort, there was a run at trying to take a billion dollars out of the program, um, trying to stop the the growth of this part of the triad. And we were able to defeat that in an overwhelmingly bipartisan vote. I think there may be like 12 for it and 40, 50, 60 of us against it.
2: Fascinating. Uh, and it's not just – it's not just – good for utah it's not just these four thousand uh some odd jobs it's not just the the new construction not only of the facility to support this uh leg of the triad uh or the construction which uh, will be required because of all these new uh jobs i think of uh udot projects and probably some new schools Uh, but but this this new ground base strategic deterrent is is absolutely crucial to, to national defense
3: it is essential. I mean, if, if we could pass an amendment to tell the Chinese and the Russians to quit building their offensive weapons, we wouldn't need this. But since we can't, and we don't, and we won't, we have to have this as a defense for the United States. And if you have a strong defense, and the, uh, and the rest of the world knows about it, the chances of them trying to attack us is minimized. So this is essential. And what most people don't realize is this uh, this This ground-based deterrent actually has two components to it. One is the missile, the, the armament that fires, and the other the armament, and then the other is the missile that delivers it. And actually the efforts that were done in the committee to try and defund this only tried to defund the delivery system, not the armament system which would mean it would be even worse because the armament portion would continue on, the missile would lag behind, and you need to coordinate those two to make sure that you have a system that works and functions and does well. So That's why this was, this was such a big deal, that we were able to make sure that it was, uh, it was protected in, in this year's NDA. I'm sure there's going to be an effort to try it on the floor. I don't think that's going to go very far either. And then when it goes into conference committee between the Senate and the House, the Senate language is very much similar to ours. I expect it to be, uh, to be ratified very quickly.
2: I want to ask you about another one of these provisions as well, and it's something which dates back to the time when I was uh, working for you as a congressional staffer, and it has to do with a, like a cooling-off period. 180 days is required uh, of outgoing retired veterans before they can... Uh, it takes some sort of employment. So would you explain that to us and, and, and tell us uh, how you were able to change that?
3: Yeah, I'm actually very proud of this. Uh, Representative Lamborn, when he saw this, was on the uh, Blanc amendments that were uh, unanimously approved, came over and said, did you actually get that through? This is a big deal. We have been talking about this for a long time. And we have originally, a long time ago it was determined that uh, generals shouldn't be able to come up with sweetheart deals when they retire and go into the private sector. And so there had to be a six-month waiting period. Unfortunately, most of the jobs that are impacted by the 180-day are not being done by a general. They're going to be done by people who who are staff sergeants and master sergeants. And they are the lower grade that are truly technical skills that are very necessary and needed in the military, and a retiring, uh, retiring military personnel with that status could easily make a whole bunch of money on the private sector, but they have this deep patriotism and desire to actually serve in the civilian workforce. And it is impossible for someone who's a master sergeant to ask them to go without money for six months before you can actually hire them back. So our depots and all of our, our, uh, our, our generals, all the bases, have been crying to fix this, um, that the Union in Utah has always been supportive of our efforts. They realize how important it is. The Union in Washington had problems until this year. We were able to talk to them and, and work out some agreements with them in advance so that everyone really realized that this 100-day cooling-off period only hurts people. And it hurts our ability to staff specific positions, and it hurts our ability to maintain our workforce to actually do this kind of this job. And we have been asking for it for a long time, and this time we got it done, and we got it done unanimously. This is a big deal for anyone who's trying to run a military base or run a depot and trying to move the work forward. And it really helps people who have this patriotic desire to stay working in the military side that they don't have to sit. On their on their hind on the sit out of the process and not have any money for their families for six months it, yeah. it, is, it is something that has long been wanted. We also worked on locality pay, which actually hurts Hill Air Force Base and the, and the civilian workforce that's there. We have them to make a new study that we're going to re, reevaluate that and I think start paying those who are moving into Hill Air Force Base a, a salary that is that is decent and actually corresponds to the cost of living here, because we have been undercounted in the past.
2: I, I I am already late for a commercial break, but I have to ask you this last question. Everything that you have just described is dependent on signature by the president. The president, though, has made it known, uh, or at least he has threatened to veto this, should the NDAA, should the NDAA c- include... Uh, a requirement to change the names of certain military installations that bear uh, Confederate generals. Do you think the president will make good on that threat? Um,
3: I don't know. We'll have to see. These provisions are significant, and the NDA did not provide that provision in, uh, in the committee report, so we'll see what happens.
2: All right. Very good. Congressman Bishop, thanks so much for your time. I'm going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to share with you a request which is being made by the Salt Lake Chamber, and it has to do with the wearing of masks. They'd like to ratchet things up a little bit, make it a requirement. I'll share with you those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.